0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Matt. I'm the youth pastor here, um, and I wear bow ties. So, um, This morning, we are continuing our series in the book of Joshua. Um, and this morning's sermon is titled Passing Over Again. And as we start this morning, I want to tell you something. We are going to cover like four and a half chapters of the Bible. And, and normally, I would be like, Matt, that's way too much. Um, but it's going to pay off by the end. And so I'm starting with this because when you see the text on screen and you're like, "There's Matt, you're reading this really fast and you're going fast, Just we're looking at a theme as we go, but we're going to cover a whole lot of Bible text. And every day as I've been preparing, I've been cutting out whatever I could. And so this isn't an apology for the Bible. I'm never going to apologize for the Bible, but it is a heads up. We're going to cover a lot today. Um, and as we start, I'm actually, I'm going to bring out Max Kubaki. So today as we start, yeah, this is Max. Hi, Max. So as, as we start today, um, because you're going to hear me read so much, I've asked Max to come up. And Max is going to read us a passage from the book of Exodus. Now we are in the book of Joshua, which is four books later. Um, but, but we're going to start off in Exodus because the theme today, this theme of passing over again, We're at a point where Israel is passing over the Jordan into the Promised Land, but everything we read today does not make sense unless we understand the first Passover from Exodus 12. And so Max is going to read some verses, and then we'll dive in.
1: Exodus, chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, ESV. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, And the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Exodus chapter 12, verses 43 through 50. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If the stranger shall shall sojourn with you, and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native, and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron.
0: Thank you, Max. We can, good job. What, what Max has just read, um, the account of the Passover. Um, if we are thinking um, in like a modern sense, this is like when you when you stop at like when an immigrant would stop at Ellis Island and they'd want to enter. The the Passover was the rite of passage to citizenship. And and this is just in the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament now. So it's no longer the same for us, but for a person of ancient Israel, if if you wanted to join, if you were a Jewish person, if you did not celebrate the Passover, you were considered cut off. If if you were a, a foreigner that wanted to join in with the people, you had to do this in order to be considered a part of the people of Israel. And, and what did they have to do? The, the Passover, I underline these things. The Passover would start on the preparation of the 10th day of the first month. Now for us, the 10th day of the month is, or the, the first month is January. In their culture, they did this thing called like the lunar cycle. So it'd be based around the moon. and And the first month for them was actually during the harvest. And their harvest, it's real confusing because we're, in uh, the other side of the world, but their harvest would actually take place in like March or April. And so we're talking about the 10th the day of March or April and there's a harvest ready. And then they would actually observe it on the 14th day of that same month. They would eat it in haste, ready to move. Um, if you go back in the story, they're leaving Egypt and God is doing this one last thing. He's passing over Egypt one last time. And then the people are finally going to leave Egypt And head to the promised land. They're going to eat unleavened bread for seven days after. Um, What that means is bread without yeast. Um, Why that matters, we can go to a grocery store and get yeast. In their culture, this would have been a reset every year. Because you would have thrown out all the yeast. And then had to restart the process. Um, So just, I, I don't know if it's an inconvenience. Or I don't know why the Lord chose to do it. But they would have eaten unleavened bread for seven days after. And then they would have had to restart the process of building up yeast. It's also to be observed throughout generations. What happens in Exodus 12, the plan in the Bible is that this is going to happen over and over and over. Every generation, every year on the 10th day of the first month is going to prepare. They're going to pick out a lamb and, and on the 14th day they're going to sacrifice that lamb. And this is, you, anyone who fails to do this will be cut off from the people of Israel. They will not be a citizen of Israel if they don't do that. Finally, all the males who partake must be circumcised. Now, if you're here this week and and you've never been here before, or if you read that and you're like, well, can I not be a Christian? I'm maybe not, or or whatever, it's okay. Um, The good news is in the New Testament, uh, we are told that, that circumcision no longer matters, but in the Old Testament, if you were from the line of Abraham, which is the people of Israel came from Abraham, circumcision mattered a whole lot. Um. I studied circumcision a ton this week. Um, it's going to make more sense later. Um, it's, I'm giggly. I'm a youth pastor. I'm allowed to be giggly about this. But um, we are going to jump in now. Keep all this information in mind. it The whole passage comes to life because of this information. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Father, you are the living God. You execute judgment on the other gods, the lesser gods. They're not even real Gods, but you are the living God, the Lord of all the earth, and what you promise you will complete and the works that you do you desire to repeat in all generations. I pray today as we look at your word, as we look at the book of Joshua, and as we think about what it means to follow you, I pray we would come away with a better understanding of the works you're completing, the way you're repeating them, and what that means for us today. I thank you that we can be citizens in your kingdom And I thank you that today, as we study this, that your spirit speaks to us. I pray that you would be speaking through me. These would not be my words, but yours. And I pray you would give us all ears to hear the message that you have for us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, a couple weeks ago, for those of you who are here, Pastor Rich did a sermon from Joshua chapter 1, um, and they're encamped at this place called Shittim. Shittim. And it's a, it's a a place about three, it's a, it's a short journey away from the Jordan, which is the river, they're in the wilderness. They're about to cross this river, the Jordan, to enter into the promised land. And and they're, they're, they're they're waiting there, and the Lord says a whole bunch of things to Joshua. And then last week, Rich preached on the, the spies that they send in to find out about the land and to just help prepare. And, And so we see those stories. What's really interesting, the story we are reading today actually takes place. Joshua 3 starts at the exact same point as Joshua 1. Now, the reason that the author Joshua does this, this passage is so repetitive, and there's a reason for that. The the, the author is trying to hit over our heads all of the things that the Lord is doing, all the things he's completing, and all of the things he's repeating. I have cut out some of it um, just because, again, it's, you're still going to feel like, Matt. it's really repetitive, but you have to think in their culture, this would have been spoken. They, they wouldn't have read this. This would have been spoken to them. And when they heard it, whoever was speaking it, they would have repeated these words over and over. And as they heard the words, they would have just reheard them and reheard them. And it would have given them this clear picture of what the Lord is going to do on the banks of the Jordan. So the Lord completes his works, the Lord repeats his works. If you want to leave right now, that's the sermon in a nutshell. Um, I'm giving you that up front today because it's just, it's, there's not one point to point at. It's just throughout this story, we're going to see the Lord completing works and repeating works. So now we're going to jump in. We're in Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. Now when it says Joshua and then they, um, in, in Exodus through Deuteronomy, there'd be times where it said, and Moses rose and they went. The author is going to show us how Joshua is becoming to the Israelites what Moses was. And the very first line here, Joshua rose early, they left, is just, it should cue us in right away that the author is doing something here and is telling us Joshua is what Moses was. And that's going to get hit over our heads a whole bunch as we go. but, But so Joshua, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. Now, what's interesting here, this is the last little stop before we really get rolling. Um, this word for passed over here, re- remember what we read earlier? The, the Passover. We're, we're talking about passing over. And and the verb here that's used behind this is, it's a normal verb. It's not, in, in the Hebrew, it's just like a normal sentence. But the, we're going to see the words passed over so many times. And the reason is, is that even though this is a normal verb, the author wants the people to see this connection. So the Passover, passing over, Passover, Passover, they passed over, they finished passing over, they passed over. We're going to see that over and over and over. And the author just wants to clue us in. This is a very unusual thing that the author would use the same word so many times. When an author uses a word in an abundance, you have to wonder, what is the author trying to tell us? And I've already told you, he's trying to tie it to the Passover. And so at the end of three days, they're on the Jordan, the the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So the Ark of the Covenant, if, you, if, you've, uh, if you've never seen Indiana Jones, um, it, it shows up there, but it's this big thing. It would have taken um, four priests standing on each side. It's not a casket, but like the, they would have had a pole going through, and they would have had a person at the front on either side with the pole resting on their shoulder, and they would have walked with it. And, and what, Josh, or what the command is for them is to follow it about 2,000 cubits in length. If you don't know what a cubit is, a cubit is about 18 inches. So this is talking, be back about 3,000 feet from the ark. We are walking into the promised land for the first time, which is occupied by enemies, and our religious relic is going to be over half a mile away from us in front of us. And just follow it. You don't know where you're going. And, and what's interesting here when it says that you shall know, or that um, you have not passed this way before, this is echoing a promise because, so if we go into the book of Genesis, there's this guy Abraham, and God promises that his people will occupy the land that they are in, but he says you're going to be enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And, and it's not Abraham, it's not Isaac, it's not, Je- Isaac is his son, it's not Jacob, his son, um, it's the sons of Jacob wind up in Egypt. And it's while they are there, they're eventually enslaved, and they're there 400 years, And so the Israelites, when it says you have not passed this way before, no Israelite has entered the promised land except the spies in 440 years. And so the first thing that is going to step across or step into the Jordan to go across is the Ark of the Covenant a half mile ahead and the people are going to watch it so they know the way to go. The Lord is leading them. The army is not leading them. It is the Lord with the Ark of the Covenant leading them into the promised land. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That word wonders, same exact word for all the plagues in Egypt. The, the things the Lord was doing where he brought the frogs, he turned the, the water into blood, he, all, all the different things that he did there were called the wonders. And so the, God is saying, or Joshua is saying that the Lord is going to do wonders like what he did in Egypt. You're going to see wonders today. And, and so Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now Moses is, in the, at this point in the Jewish history, Moses is the, lead, the best leader Israel has ever had. I mean, he's really the only leader the nation of Israel has ever had. And so what the Lord did in Moses, he's now promising, Joshua, I'm going to repeat it in you. You are going to command the way Moses commanded and so that is what we are seeing in this passage and and for the priest bearing the ark he tells them just just walk up right to the waters and you're going to stand still in the jordan now if you've ever seen the prince of egypt or read exodus 14 you know the story of them parting the red sea um so a sea doesn't really have a current I mean, it might. I don't know. I didn't research this. I probably should have before I made a claim like this. But a sea does not just flow one direction, probably. Um, but, but the Jordan is a river, and it is a big river. And we're going to find out in a minute that the Jordan was actually flooded. And, and why this matters, um, so the Israelites are marching to war. They're, they're going to go and they're going to take the promised land. And when you think in this way, when you think about war, one of of the things, um, something like water is a pretty strong natural barrier, and a flooded river that's flowing one way would have been a barrier that that the people of Jericho and the Canaanite people would have thought, the Israelites aren't going to be able to cross this, we're going to set up our defenses on the perimeter of this. They also, in, in this time, this would have been the harvest time. And so when God is telling Joshua, you guys are just going to cross it right away, this is something that if the people wanted to cross it on their own, they would have had to construct bridges. They're in the wilderness. There's probably not a ton of building supplies, but they would have had to construct bridges. They would have had to figure out how to get them across. They wouldn't have tried to cross the river when it's flooded, right? That would just not be logical. You, you, like you've got, they've got hundreds of thousands of people. And I don't know if you um, our our youth group this these last two weeks. Um, I love our students, but they have the ability to walk in mud just walking from the, the car into our building. Um, and so two weeks ago, I was talking to one of our students about, "Hey, some guys aren't here. Did you? I thought they were coming tonight?" And I walk in the bathroom, and the two boys have their shoes off, and there's just mud everywhere. And they're like kind of smiling, and they're like, "We stepped in mud." Um, And and it was gross. And then we had the same thing happen this last week. But the the point of this is mud is awful. And when it gets on you, it gets stuck. It gets all over you. And and so the idea of, hey, let's cross this muddy river would not have been a normal thing. They would have said, you know what, let's wait till the Jordan kind of goes down. That's like good strategy. And the people of Jericho would have expected that. They're also in the middle of their harvest season. So all of their soldiers are back home harvesting to prepare for the year. And then after the harvest is over, that's when the army assembles and gets ready. But the Lord has a very different plan here. And so he says, "Go when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, the flooded Jordan, just walk across. The Lord completes his work and the Lord repeats his work. We're going to see it over and over. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Now before we go any further, I need to just point one more thing. We're just going to point out a bunch of things today. But um, when it says, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. The Israelites have been here before on the edge of the Jordan 40 years before and they sent spies in and the spies looked at the people in the land and the people in the land looked big they looked ferocious they had weapons they had armies and the people the first time they came to this point said we don't want to enter the land and when the people said they don't want to enter the land what they were saying is that these Canaanites Hittites Hivites all of these people groups have gods and we have a god and we're not sure our god can take their gods you see, in this day, the, the whole point of these wars was, was about expanding your boundary and your territory. But the idea was, was the army that won, it was because their God won. And, and so in this day, one of the things that you would accept, there was not like, a, like the Canaanites weren't atheists. They had their Canaanite gods, and they were confident our God and our territory will beat any God who comes into our territory. The same thing with these other people groups. And so Joshua was saying, we have a living God. They don't. And he goes on to say, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. When it says the Lord of all the earth, the thing that he's saying to the Israelites is, we are entering a place we have not been before, and God is still God here. The Lord is the Lord of all the earth. And, and he is passing over before you into the Jordan. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming from above shall stand in a heap. When it says above, I always read that and think, oh, rain. But it's actually talking about the, the Jordan flowed from north to south. And so from north of them, the waters would stand up where the water is flowing from. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. And those flowing down towards the Sea of the Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, were completely cut off. The imagery we should see here, the Lord is repeating an action because what he did at the Red Sea, he is doing again. He is stopping water and allowing the people to cross. The, the ancient... People of that day would have believed that all the gods came up out of the deep, out of the water, and here we have a God who can just stop the water super far away, a God who is in control of even that, and they're going to walk across on dry ground. Now, as we hit this point, something stands out. There's this, this wor- these words, the waters were completely cut off. I'm going to get really nerdy for a minute, um, but it's, it's going to pay off. Um, so, completely is a Hebrew verb, and were cut off is a Hebrew verb. Um, completely is this, it's uh, tav, mi ami, or tav ma'im, but we're going to call it tamu because that's the way it's used in the passage more when you parse it out. Um, super nerdy. Um, were cut off is nekratu. And so it says tamu nekratu. Um, and you may say, Matt, completely is not a verb, it's like an, adju- an adverb. Adverb? I don't know. Um, But but in Hebrew, I promise you, in Hebrew, what is there? Tamu is absolutely a verb, and it is a super rare verb. It is only found in the Old Testament sixty-two times, and it shows up here and is used in a way that when I first read it, I was like, "Is that wrong?" And you might be saying, "Well, Matt, it's the Bible. It can't be wrong." And I, yeah, um, I know. But I wondered if the translation was wrong because it is such a weird word, tamu. It means completed, finished. It means it's not just completed; it's completed beyond a doubt. And so, to say completed beyond a doubt, we're cut off. We're cut off would just cover that on its own. But but this word shows up here, tamu, and so it it bothered me. And and as we go forward, um, it's going to become clear because remember we're talking about the Lord is completing His works. Because you see, it says the waters were completely cut off, and then the next verse, and the people passed over opposite. Jericho, if you're the people of Jericho and you see this large group of people come up and, and camp on the banks of a river that's flooded, you're probably already a little nervous. If you see them cross the river right in front of you, you're probably like, well, what do we do now? We can't call for allies anymore. They're super close to us. This, this is a moment. The Lord, all of the military strategy of the day could not prepare the people for the living God, the Lord of all the earth. But the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over. What's interesting here is that word finished is temu. In fact, if you've got your green sheet, you're going to see it's it's seven times in this passage we're going to see it used. Every time it comes up, I'll have it in big, bold, capitalized letters. But this word completed, the nation completely finished passing over the author hits your head over it and so if it seemed weird to say the waters were completely cut off now the author brings up that same word again and now we should start to wonder why why is the author using this word over and over and in fact if we just go one verse further when all the nation had finished passing over the jordan it's when all the nation completed passing over the jordan this rare verb is going to show us so much today and it's super fun but right now we're just going to keep going because we got to get through a whole lot of text So when all the nation had completed passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. Now when it says stone upon his shoulder, um, I have always pictured this being like, like you could go in the parking lot and just get 12 rocks from the little island things. But they're talking about big rocks here. And they're going to carry these about 15 to 20 miles inland to where they are going to stay that night. They go quite a ways inland after they cross the Jordan. In fact, they come right up to Jericho. In one day, they go from stop by a natural barrier to right up to the wall, not quite the walls, but they're inside of Jericho that same day. And so when your children ask you in time to come, what do those 12 stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So the Lord in this moment is saying, we want the children, we want you to tell your children about the act that I completed. We want this to be repeated among the generations. The Lord operates not just in one generation, but across generations. When he completes his works, he wants them to be remembered across all generations. He wants us to tell those around us about what the Lord is doing. Lord completes his works and repeats his works. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan. Now pausing here, it says the people of Israel. It doesn't say the 12 men who were appointed. The reason for that is that in the book of Joshua, up until like chapter eight, Joshua, the, whoever's the author, it's probably Joshua or it's somebody who knew Joshua pretty well and they talked a lot. But the, the, the point of this is, is the author does not care about the individuals. Last week when Rich talked, the name Rahab came up. But do we know the name of the two spies? No, we don't. Rahab comes up next week, too. Next week's going to be fun as we talk about Rahab. One other Israelite comes up next week, and it's kind of a bummer. The, the point of this, though, is that what's happening in this story, the people of Israel, did just as Joshua commanded, even though it's only 12 men, it's the nation following the Lord in obedience. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. Joshua also set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests had stood, bearing the Ark of the Covenant. And they are there to this day. The priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, look at the repetition. God told Moses things, Moses told Joshua things. God also spoke to Joshua. But now what God was doing in Moses, he is doing in Joshua. The people passed over in haste. Remember from the Passover? We're going we're to see that more and over. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord of the pre- and the priest passed over before the people. Now, it says until everything was finished. And that word is was completed or just completed. I have the, I have the was, but it's completed. It's one word there, and it also shows up again. And when all the people completed passing over, when they had completely finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people. Keep this completed word in mind. And on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. God, at the start of this story, promises Joshua that the people are going to look at you like they looked at Moses. God completes that right now. He's also repeating a work because he promises to Moses, he's he's promised the people leaders and he continues to provide leaders for them and he continues to complete his promises. And the Lord said to Joshua, "Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan." So Joshua commanded the priests, "Come up out of the Jordan." And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the souls of the priests were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. So in the midst of this miraculous story, at the end there's, there's no even evidence of what had just happened except 12 stones and probably a whole lot of footprints once they kind of get away from the banks. But, but the point is, is what the Lord did, the Lord just brought it right back to where it was. The people came out up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. As we come to the end of this section of the story, the, the Lord, again, he's completing something and he is saying, tell your children, repeat this through all generations. Let them hear about how he did what he had already done and he can do it again. That's the idea here for the people to remember the Lord, to remember his mightiness and that they may fear him. And the idea behind fear here isn't be terrified of him, but it's recognize him for who he is because if you understand who God is, of course you're going to fear him, but it is a healthy fear because you recognize his power and his might and you can still follow him. The Lord completes his work, and the Lord repeats his works. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Now when I first started studying this passage, I was ready to stop here. Um, but I promised y'all I'd talk about circumcision. And so we got to go a little bit further. Um, what's amazing, though, is God promises them, I'm going before you. And just the, just the people of the land finding out the story of what the Lord did, they've, they've, their hearts are melted. There's no longer any spirit. They're not even ready to go to battle. And so the people, they, they walk to Gilgal, this place that's very close to Jericho. They walk there. In, in one day, they go from on the other side of the Jordan to right up next to Jericho. And what do they do? At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Ha'araloth. Okay, so there's this um, thing. Um, <laughs> huh. Um. I have studied this passage a lot this week. Um, and again, I, so I'm a youth pastor. I get to be immature. Um, when it says Gibeath Ha'araloth, that is literally the hill of foreskins. Um, there is language going on here that, that it's better to just leave it Hebrew. Um, but, but there is language going on here. And this idea of they circumcise the sons of Israel a second time, um, if, depending on what translation you have, some translations say, and, they, and Joshua circumcised the sons of Israel comma, a second generation. But that's not what the Bible says. Um, that's how we translate it, because a second time, what on earth does that mean? So um, I, I used a lot of um, time this week Googling about this, and not just Googling. Um, I did a lot of work in academic papers and reading up and reading commentaries and trying to understand why on earth it says a second time. Um, what's really interesting is the word circumcised, which is the first one, which is underlined. Right before that, there's another word that we don't, bother translating, I don't know why, but it's return. Circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. And some people say the reason we take the word return out is because we add a second time and those mean the same thing. But the fact that both of them are present in the Hebrew in the sentence means both of them are present in the Hebrew in the sentence. So we can't just ignore that. Um, And so as I researched, um, one of the things that stands out is they make flint knives. When the Israelites were in Egypt, um, we're going to find out in the, next comi- in the upcoming verses. The Israelites who were in Egypt, um, they, they did circumcise their, who, whoever was born there, um, but, but they maybe didn't have the right tools for it because if you're the Egyptians, you're maybe not going to let your slave population have access to flint weapons. Um, and so, okay, um, the Egyptians, we know from other places, the Egyptians did a different type of circumcision. They circumcised a whole lot less. Um, and so that's one option here is that the Israelites who had been circumcised in Egypt had not been circumcised properly. We also know the Israelites who were wandering in the desert for 40 years, which we'll talk about in a moment. They did not do any circumcision while they were in the wilderness, while they were traveling. So there's some options here. I don't have any answers. I just You can't pass up a sentence like that and not talk about it because when you read that a second time, you go, what? Um, And the fact that that it goes further than this because if you have ever read the book of Genesis, there's a story in Genesis where one of the daughters of Jacob is raped. And the guy who rapes the daughter of Jacob then comes to Jacob and his sons and says, look, I'm really sorry, but I want to marry her. And the sons of Jacob are ticked and two of them, um, Simeon and Levi, they say, you know what? All is fair in love and war. If you guys just get circumcised, your whole city, get your whole city circumcised. We'll call it good. We'll just become one people. And so the, the people of that town or that city, they all, all, the man, all the males get circumcised. And three days later, so not the day they do it, three days later, Simeon and Levi come in with swords and they kill every single man in the city. Now, next week we're going to talk a whole lot more about God's wrath and judgment um, in, a, in a positive way because that story on the surface just sounds really messed up. And it is. It's super messed up, but the point I'm trying to draw out of that story is when, when a male is circumcised as an adult, three days later, that man is not ready to defend himself. That whole city was not prepared to defend themselves, and two of the sons of Jacob come in with swords and kill all of them. And so you're the people of Israel. God has just parted the Jordan. You cross, you come up, you can basically see Jericho from where you're encamped. And now Joshua says, hey, we got stuff to take care of. We're basically going to be defenseless for a little while. There's a reason for this. There's a reason for this, and so the reason for this, huh, uh, is why Joshua circumcised them. Um, all the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way they had come out of Egypt. Now, if you have not read that story, it's it's the book of Exodus, like 15 through Numbers 14. The people leave Egypt. They go in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness a year. They celebrate a Passover in the wilderness. And then right after that, God tells Moses, all right, it's time to enter the promised land. This is 40 years ago from where we're at today. And, and so God says, we're going to enter the promised land right now. And they send 12 spies in. One is Joshua and his friend Caleb, and then 10 other spies. They had, they're named. Uh, their names are hard to pronounce. We're not going to read them. But the point is, 10 of the spies come back and say, we cannot take these people. Our God did great things in Egypt, but these people look like they have some pretty awesome gods. And and so they, they come up to the Jordan, and then the people come back to Moses. And what they say to Moses is, hey, let's go back to Egypt. That would be better than crossing the Jordan. And because of that, all of the men of war, anyone 20 or older, on that day where they rejected God, where they rejected going into the promised land. God said, you don't want to go into the promised land? Okay, in the next 40 years, you're all going to die out here in the wilderness, and I'll bring the next generation in. I'm going to repeat, or I'm going to complete what I said I would do, but I'm going to do it in the next generation. I'm not going to do it with you guys anymore. And, And so, though all the people who had come out of Egypt had been circumcised, those born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, completed. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was the children whom he raised up in their place, God used that that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was completed, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This is the line that makes me wonder if maybe the people weren't properly circumcised in the first place, because this line doesn't make sense otherwise, but, but what matters is the last time the people had gone to enter the promised land, they had said, we'd rather be slaves. After all the Lord did to bring us out, we'd rather be slaves. And so the Lord promised you're going to wind up never entering the promised land. And so it's with that next generation he gives the promise to. He repeats it in a new generation and completely wipes out the old one. So why completed tamu? Um, this word shows up 62 times in the Old Testament. Seven of those times are in Joshua 3:1 through 5:12. This passage we're reading. The reason I'm talking about circumcision today is because it keeps talking about completed. After this, it goes away pretty much, except in other uses. But it's seven times in this passage. It's also seven times in number and Deuter- numbers and Deuteronomy, the two books right before it. Seven times across those two books, it is used to talk about those who all die in the wilderness. When the people come to Moses and they say, Moses, we want to go to Egypt. We We don't want to go into the promised land. We don't think the Lord can do this. The response of God is, then you will completely perish in the wilderness and I will raise up the next generation to follow me. Seven times that word hits you over the head. If you look elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible, it is never used to refer to like the death of a generation at all. It's always used in the sense of completing a project. But seven times in Numbers and Deuteronomy, every time it talks about the people who died in the wilderness, it says they completely, they completed, they perished completely. The word is completed. It's not perished. There's a great word for perished in the Old Testament, or in in Hebrew. There's also a great word for finished. God chooses this specific word, to drive home a point. And when we come to this story, this is a moment that is 440 years in the making and more, where God has promised his people, you're going to be enslaved for 400 years, but then you're going to enter my promised land. I will redeem you. I will bring you out. You will go into this land that I will give to you. And And God is completing this promise, but not with the generation who should have received it. This story is a story of great joy, but it's also a story of, it's it's a bummer. It's a bummer because there's a whole generation, everyone who was 20 and up, who refused the promised land, died in the wilderness. The Lord completes his work in this story, and he's repeating his work in a new generation. And it's both good to know the faithfulness of the Lord and sad to know the failure of man. When the people of Israel were encamped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened caked and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. God promised them when they were in the wilderness at first. He promised them he'd he'd provide for them until they entered the promised land. And so now the Lord is completing that promise. They're also celebrating the Passover. And, and church, this is where the reason we talked about Passover at the beginning today. Remember when we talked about it at the beginning today? We talked about if you did not celebrate the Passover, you were cut off from your people. In Numbers chapter 9, in the wilderness, the people of Israel, they're at Mount Sinai and they celebrate the Passover. They celebrate the Passover in the wilderness. This is right before they reject going into the promised land. They celebrate the Passover. And then they come up to the Jordan and they say, no, we want to go back to Egypt. And from that moment on, they never celebrate the Passover again. There's a reason for that. You see, when, when, when they celebrate the Passover in Numbers 9, some of the men had been carrying a dead body or they were unclean for some reason. That's a whole other topic. But they were, if you were unclean at the time of the Passover, you were not allowed to celebrate it. And so they say to Moses, what should we do? We don't want to be cut off from our people. What should we do? And what Moses says is, well, go to the second month, the tenth day of the second month. And if if you're going to be unclean then, then let's go to the third month, the tenth day of the third month. And so from Numbers 14, when they reject God, the people of Israel begin to travel. And Moses says, if you're unclean or if you're traveling, wait to celebrate the Passover until you're not traveling anymore. And so the people of Israel, when God says you're not going to enter the promised land, They begin wandering. They begin traveling. And so the the tenth day of the first month goes by and they're still traveling. Tenth day of the second month. The tenth day of the first month of the 20th year. They're still traveling up until this day 40 years later. And every single person who rejected going into the promised land from the God who bought their way out of Egypt. Every single person that was an adult and part of the leadership there is not with them they have been so completely cut off the author of this book wants you to know that he wants you to feel that he wants you to celebrate that the lord is completing his promise and mourn the people who weren't there to see it completed the passover and exodus prepared on the 10th day observed on the 14th they eat in haste they eat unleavened bread for seven days after it's to be observed through all generations Anyone who fails to do this will be cut off, and all males who partake must be circumcised. The passage we read today in Joshua, it's not an accident. They passed over on the 10th day of the first month. They observed the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. When they passed over the Jordan, they passed over in haste. They eat unleavened bread from the land for seven days after. They're told to tell future generations of this day, even as they do this act, even as they become citizens in the land of, of God, and they're, they're, those who failed this were completely cut off, and all the males who were to partake had to be circumcised. God is reestablishing his covenant with his people in this day. They are becoming citizens of the land that he promised them so long ago that they should have been in 40 years ago. The Lord completes his work, and the Lord repeats his works. Now, church, as we come to the end of this, you, the application point, man, you don't need to get circumcised a second time. Um, you, the, the, the point of this passage is not that. The, the point of this passage as we come to the end, the repetition of this passage and what we are seeing in this passage, what we should come away from this story with, is that each time we see the actions and what is happening in this story, we need to look at what God is doing. And what God does over and over is He, he tells them, pick up those stones place those there, remind the people, remember the covenant, remember this thing from long ago, bring it to you. So church, what we need to do out of this is we need to remember the things that the Lord is completing and has completed in our lives, and we need to tell people about them. We also need to tell the Lord about them so that when, in other people's lives, when they have not experienced what we're talking about, when they're struggling with something, if the Lord's completed a work in our life that someone else is struggling with, when we see them in that, we can say, hey, he's completed that in me. He can repeat that. He can complete that in you. In, in the midst of this are good and bad. When I was at Moody, one of the works that the Lord completed in my life is he humbled me so stinking much um, and one of the things I, I I graduated from Moody in three years. I talk about this all the time. It's not a brag. It's one of the dumbest things I ever did. It was bad on our marriage. It was really rough. Um, when I when we got to Moody, we had prayed about being at Moody for four or five years. We got to Moody just taught in the inner city. It was super stressful. And I said, you know what? I bet I can do this faster. And every semester, I just piled on more and more classes. Um, I learned a ton, and praise the Lord for that. But I probably could have learned all that in four years. I don't know. Um, but but the, the the point is is God had given us like, a, like an outline. We felt very clear about the timing. We were very at peace with it. And then I tried to force it. And I tried to say, you know what, we're going to do this in three years and get out in three years. Do you know how many years Jess taught in the city of Chicago? Four years. I graduated in May of 2015. I got the job at Springbrook in like late April of 2016. Do you know I would have been applying for that job at the same time even if I was a student at Moody? But instead I, I sat around in our non-air-conditioned, apartment on the second floor where we had to leave the windows open, but our neighbors below smoked weed all the time, so it was always really awful. Um, and I, I tell you all that because for that year, I was so separated from community. And I remember when I started at Springbrook, I remember the first day I was driving here to work here, I remember the Lord being like, Matt, this is this is it. Like It was like the Lord was like, I completed this work in you. Praise the Lord. And, and the thing is, That is a work where what I'm telling you right now is about my pride and my thought of, here's what I can do on my own. Here's what I can do on my own strength. And the Lord in that story said, Matt, my timing is so much better than yours. And because the Lord did that, we're here, and I'm so thankful for that. But, But in that, that was a story of my failure and how the Lord still completed something in me in that. I can't make that better. I can't be like, well, you know, like, look how it worked out, so I'm good still. No, I messed that up really bad, and the Lord still worked in it. In the same way the we're pregnant, so um, yeah, um, it's on Facebook, so. um, But when I I say this, um, our desire was that Jess would be pregnant before 30, um, and she's 29. It's tacky to say her age, but um, she's 29, and um, the baby's going to be due before she turns 30. And the thing was is we kept wondering if we were going to have to give that up, but as we prayed about it, we thought that's what the Lord had for us. And so that's a, that's a, the fact that she's pregnant, that's completed, especially if we're pro-life. So I mean, if, if the baby's in there and the Lord's knitting it together, but in our mind, we got a child. I'm a dad. Woo-hoo. But um, the, the point of this in this moment is that, that that's a completed work that we can go tell people about. But we also, as that child comes, we're going to hopefully be telling them about the works the Lord has completed in our lives in the hopes that the Lord is going to repeat them in the lives of our children right? And and the point of this story is cross-generational. Church, the Lord has completed works in your lives, and you need to tell people about it. Parents, if I can tell you the the best thing about my relationship with my dad in the last three or four years is that my dad and I, whenever we talk on the phone, he tells me what he's learning in the Bible. I talk about this all the time, but what it tells me is how the Lord is just how the Lord is still working in his life. And then I, I think about my future and I say, man, the Lord's still going to be working in my life when I'm that old. Um, and and I, uh, our SOS people are all coming back from, from warm places. Sorry that it's not warm enough here yet. Um, but I've heard from some of them what they were learning at their Bible studies down south in the warmth. And, I, and I've heard about how the Lord is still working in their lives. And church, we need to be a church where we talk about the works the Lord is completing the good ones and the bad ones, because we need to tell the next generations about that. We need to pass this stuff on. And the whole point of this story in Joshua is we need to pass this stuff on because the Lord is going to repeat his works. So when someone is struggling, we want them to hear, yeah, you're going to struggle, but the Lord is going to complete his works. So be a part of them. Look for the ways he's repeating them. Be a part of what the Lord is completing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how good you are. You are the living God. You are the Lord of all the earth. And the works that you do, you will continue to do. You will complete everything that you have promised. And you will repeat those works in all generations. So we pray that we would be a people that would take what you have taught us and take what you have done in our lives. And we would tell that to everyone that we would tell that to each other, that we would encourage each other in what you are completing in our lives and that we would move forward in it and that we would see you repeat your works in all generations. We thank you that you are so good. We thank you for the work that you've completed in us if we believe in your son. If Jesus is our resurrected king, if we've given our allegiance, we are a part of your kingdom and you have completed that work and you're working in us even now. We thank you that you are so good and that you are so faithful and that you complete your works.